You have located Geekfest Rants, the entertainment podcast for genre geeks like you. Shall we play a game? Covering the world of vintage and current film and television since 2010. Game over, man. Game over. Featuring in-depth conversations on sci-fi, horror, fantasy, comics, toys, and conventions. So say we all. So say we all. And now sit back, relax, and enjoy today's show. and welcome to Geekfest Rants. My name is Carlos Perone, and today we are going to explore two different topics. First off, we're going to hit the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Recently had a chance to watch it, and you're going to hear what I think about it. I'm glad they put it out. I'm glad there was something different and noticeably different than the previous film. Plus, I'm also very happy that I was able to watch it on TV through HBO Max and not have to go to a movie theater because four hours plus is a long time to sit in a movie theater. I don't know if I can do that anymore. I don't think I'm capable of doing that anymore. (laughs) Unless they start putting intermissions in the middle of movies. And then after that, we're going to talk about Repro Custom Wars. We touched upon this a little bit a while back, and we are going to continue with the subject of two of the best customizing, let's call it manufacturers, because these are not just 
people at home, you know, making stuff in their, you know, on their workbench. These are now more or less semi-professional outfits that are putting together some amazing, amazing custom Star Wars work and the problems in between those companies and how on the one hand we're getting such great material but on the other hand they're getting dangerously close to kind of wiping each other out so let's begin first with Zack Snyder's Justice League what did I teach you you are the Duke of New York you're a number one you will not laugh you will not cry you will learn by the numbers I will teach you can you dig it Open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. That spawn of Satan! <laughs> oh, really? The Force will be with you, always. All right, I want to talk about Zack Snyder's Justice League, also known as the Snyder Cut. Just finished watching it. And I was pleasantly surprised. This is a film that has been in the ether for a while now. There have been rumors that he had this alternate cut of the film, Justice League, if you guys remember. To understand the history of this particular film, you have to go back to the original intent of what Zack Snyder had in mind when he first got involved with the DC franchise. His initial plan was to do a five-part series, quad, a, quint- a quintilogy, quintology, I don't know, I don't even, I don't even remember what it would be considered, that would consist of the original Man of Steel, followed by Batman versus Superman, followed by Justice League, followed by two more films. He claims that the, the initial intent was to start on a somewhat bright note of Superman and go super dark after that one with Batman versus Superman and then have the following films become lighter and lighter and lighter as you get along. So it's not going to be the usual, let's say, for example, Star Wars formula of light, dark, light. This would be light, Go dark and then progressively light again. So there's the there's an up and down you know uh, uh, motion taking place here, except that that particular wave is not as perfect as a three movie wave. This would have been a five movie you know peak and then calming down or brightening up, if you will. So he makes the first film and things are pretty good. He establishes the the look and how things are going to to work out. He shoots the second film, and the reaction is not that great financially or critically. People were a little turned off by the darkness of the second film. So he begins working on the third film, Justice League. With this film, you know, he puts together something that resembles what we have now, more or less, and submits it to Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers says, no, we cannot do this. This is this is way too too out there. It's too dark. I don't, you know, they don't think the audience reaction is gonna be good. 
So he agrees to kind of trim the film down a little bit and to kind of lighten it up a little bit more. They bring in Josh Whedon at this point to write some more, I don't want to say humor, but lightness to the film. That's one of the things they wanted him is to lighten it up a little bit. And Whedon and Snyder start collaborating because they wanted Whedon to kind of put his magic touch on the film. Whedon has had a history, and if you follow him or listen to the show, you find out about how he, uh, you know, he had a reputation for being able to put a a lighter, funnier tone, a more personal tone on some of these uh, films that he participated in. So while this is happening, Snyder, realizing that Warner Brothers is basically losing faith in him and Whedon is doing more and more, and coincidentally, Snyder is practically destroyed by the fact that his daughter committed suicide around this time, which he tried to kind of work through it. But after a couple of months, he said, all right, enough. I've had it. I have to leave here. You know, I, I got to take care of this and deal with this. So it was a, a one-two punch, basically. On one hand, the studio is not happy with his work. And on the other hand, he has a devastating personal tragedy take place in his life. So Snyder steps out and Whedon takes over as director. The estimate is that, I don't know, more or less, maybe about 10% of what Snyder filmed was used by Whedon. Whedon ended up reshooting a lot of that stuff. So the movie comes out, Justice League, and it is not the hit that they wish they had. It is more or less along the lines of Batman versus Superman, let's say, in terms of tone and look. And there was an awkwardness to it also where a lot of people complained that it felt like it was going in two different directions. And that could be related to the fact that it was done by two different directors. And that Whedon had reshot so much of the film and taken the story in a slightly different direction. I remember, barely remember... <laughs> watching this film and thinking, yeah, it's got a lot of good set pieces, but overall the story is just so uh, fast in, in terms of, okay, bad guy. Okay, we're here for the bad guy. We're here for the bad guy. We're here for this. We're here for that. And now we're in this future thing. What is this about? I have no idea what I'm dealing with over here. There was a lot of confusion, I think, uh, is how I remember it the most. What little I remember of it, that is the ironic part of it. And this is when Warner Brothers decided to kind of shift gears. And they kind of wanted to distance themselves from Zack Snyder. Marvel was doing gangbusters in terms of how well-received it was being perceived by everyone financially and critically. And Warner Brothers decided, you know what? We need to just lighten this thing up. We need to rethink our strategy, I guess, of how they're going to handle their superhero franchises. And this was also around the time where, if you guys remember, we talked about this, Deadpool came out. And Deadpool proved to even skeptics within Marvel that they could do a funny version of a superhero film and still interact with existing characters that are very serious. So at the time, I believe... DC had Suicide Squad on the hopper. They were ready to start pumping this thing out. And they decided that they were going to lighten it up a little bit. I remember they were going to do some tweaks, and I think they did, to that movie to give it a slightly more lighter tone. Throw in a couple of jokes here or there. Because of the success of 
Deadpool. And then overall, they decided, you know what? We need to try to get away from this trilogy or quadrology or quintrilogy or whatever the heck it is that Snyder was trying to do. And let's just concentrate on kind of like standalone films. Let's make them lighter, not as super crazy serious. And out of that came Wonder Woman and Aquaman. Noticeably different style films and a definite changing of the gears. You can see that something has changed within the philosophy of Warner Brothers on how to handle these things. Obviously trying to get away from Snyder with, you know, not insanely away from it because at the same time, you know, they have to not mimic Marvel, but kind of head in that direction a little more, a little lighter tones. So it gives them time to start focusing on some of those characters that were kind of introduced on this film, on the Snyder side, and to change gears. So obviously Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and the next one would have most likely have been The Flash, which I think they're still trying to put that together. Don't know if Cyborg was ever going to be his own standalone character. But also the possibility of returning to a Superman film. That's another thing that was also kind of like being thrown around there. So while all this is happening and these films are becoming more popular and they were pretty successful, you know, compared to the other, to the previous two, there was this undercurrent of fans, I guess you could say, and maybe even some industry people that worked on the film, including some of the actors talking about how there is this thing called the Snyder Cut, which is supposed to be much better than the Whedon version of Justice League. And over a couple of years, it kind of started to gather momentum. And yeah, there was there were interviews and the fact that this thing practically was there, you know, pretty much done. They only needed, I think, something like maybe 10% more in order to complete what that original cut was going to be before they pulled the plug and, and had Whedon take over. So all of a sudden, with the advent of HBO Max, you know, a lot of these things, they don't just happen in, an, in, a, in a straight line of and this led to this and this led to that. HBO Max uh, is trying to become a, a, a streaming service, if you will, an offshoot of HBO, or at least a place where you can premiere certain things. Because at the same time, remember, you're also dealing with COVID now. And you're dealing with these films that need to be put out and people are not ready to go back to the movies over the last year. So they need to have an alternative secondary place to be able to showcase these things. So the idea that is making a lot of directors very upset, but it kind of works pretty well in this situation, is that, all right, well, the movie you just made, instead of putting it out in the theater, we're going to put it on HBO Max. This way people get to see it, we make some money, but you don't make the kind of money or the kind of prestige, if you will, of it being in a movie theater. That's a whole other subject that we can talk about in another day, because there are people that are furious at this strategy, like Christopher Nolan, for example, and there are people that are going to benefit from this strategy, people that are being given a second chance, if you will, to be able to show the world your what you made, where normally it wouldn't have been that way. Now, this film, like I said, 
because of what was happening in movie theaters, HBO Max is the place where they've targeted and they've advertised as a, here's one of the big things that's coming to HBO Max that you're not going to see it over there. You're not going to see it over here, only on HBO Max, which, you know, gets people obviously to by HBO, is the premiere of the Snyder Cut. Now, in the meantime, over the last year, he was given some extra money, I think something like $70 million or something, possibly rumored, which is, that's a lot, I mean, that's a lot of money, to be able to to complete the things he needed to do. There were special effects that needed to be completed. There was a couple of reshoots that he did with the lead actors, and for the, I believe the majority of them all came back, you know, to be able to do this. And what we have now, which I just finished watching, is the Snyder Cut of Justice League. Now, to tell you the truth, (laughs) I'm not an expert in Whedon. I know that Whedon has had a cult of followers in terms of very devoted fans of Whedon. By the time I, I kind of started looking at him seriously... I think was probably when he was already in the decline of his popularity. Granted, the Avengers, great, perfect. He he nailed it. Ultron, I wasn't too crazy about. And Justice League, also I wasn't crazy about. Because there was something in that movie that just felt wrong. I don't know. And again, I can't tell you if I can just blame Snyder or I can blame Whedon or I can blame both of them because they mashed those two kind of visions together and it was just not good. Or not great. But watching this film, I kept saying to myself, is this new? Is this new? Is that new? Is this new? Is that new? <laughs> I kept going back and forth because a lot of it looked new or either I just didn't remember Justice League, period. I remember Justice League had a lot of interesting stuff on it. And there were a lot of bad guys. And there were these weird bad guys that really, to me, was like, well, who are these guys and where they come from? And, and did were they in the other movie? Were they in this movie? You know, where were they coming from? The It's almost as if we were supposed to know all this information that I didn't. Granted, maybe if you're a super comic book fan, it's perfect because you know the background of all these characters. And you can kind of fill in the gaps internally because you're so knowledgeable. But I am not a comic book person And to me, every time we get hit with these films, I sometimes miss out on the Easter eggs or the nods because I'm not familiar with what is it that they're referencing to here. For me, most of the time, it has to be given to me as if I'm a newbie, because I am kind of a newbie when it comes to comic books. So while I was watching this, I kept thinking, this feels like a completely new movie to me. This feels different. And I'm going to say it, it felt good. It felt interesting. Now, what's what's really different about the film is also the fact that it's broken down into six chapters plus a epilogue, if you will. So it's really seven chapters. And the movie is like four hours long. So there was no way in hell I was going to sit through a four-hour long movie. You know, something this long, I like to either cut in half or cut into small pieces. So I watched it over a period of three nights. And... It kind of felt like watching a miniseries. This felt much better not being in a movie theater, believe it or not, and watching it like this. Because I was able to take my time and, you know, spread it into three sections. And it gave a lot of background to some of the major story points and the characters. 
you get a deeper, deeper. I mean, with Superman, you don't need too much of a background because you had a whole movie about him, period. Same thing with Batman. You don't need that much. But the other characters that are introduced in this film, from Wonder Woman to Aquaman to The Flash to Cyborg to the bad guys. And there's two bad guys. And it's like, that's the other thing. You were like, wait a minute. Is this the same bad guy from the... No, it's not. But who's the guy that he's talking to? There's the guy with the big head. And then there's the guy that's... His boss and it's like, you know, the, the, the bad guy behind the bad guy. I'm like, well, what is he from? Where is he from? Is he from Marvel? Is he from DC? What the hell is he? That is the thing that I appreciated the most about this is the fact that they gave us all that background information that normally, you know, on a two hour film, you don't have time. I mean, think about it. This is a four hour film. The studios probably wanted two hours and 20 minutes and he would have to cut out so much out of this. There is some really good stuff. One of the best things, I think, is also the ending in terms of in the uh, Whedon cut, we have this weird ending that I was completely confused about. And I'm like, okay, this is, I guess, supposed to be a tease or is this supposed to be a dream or what the hell is it? During the film, you get hints and piece, bits and pieces of these dreams of this potential future, this alternate future that's coming where alliances are reshuffled, you know, very typical comic book style. Good guys are bad guys, bad guys are good guys, that sort of a thing. And I remember that in the original one, I was totally confused. And I think you were meant to be a little bit confused, but maybe not that confused. Because you were in this future time where the earth was pretty much destroyed and some of the good guys were together, but some of the bad guys were also kind of mixed up. And some of the, like Superman at the end is the bad guy. And it's like, wait, wait, what are you talking about? He's got these uh, forces and creatures that are kind of working for him in some kind of weird governmental capacity and an army of something having to do with these bad guys they just fought. And it made completely no sense to me. Here, they portray that whole sequence in a different manner. They don't, and and again, that's one of the few times where I started realizing that there were certain things shot for Whedon that did not make it to this cut. That he reshot certain things and it it really, really uh, brought in so much more potentially new stuff. The Martian Manhunter is in this. Is it Deathstroke? The guy at the end with the the eye patch? He's in this. But he he shows up at the end too. It's really weird. And again, the best part is that you have the Joker at the end, which you didn't have in the previous version. And and again, this is one of those situations where they, they were able to get Jared Leto to come and reshoot. And it just makes it such a weird, crazy ending to it that the implications that are hinted at of where this would have gone are so wacky out there that, I mean, typical comic book kind of things. Again, I'm going to say overall, I enjoy this. I like it. Uh, I'm glad he did it. I like to look at this as a possible multiverse kind of scenario. And I know that Marvel, for example, is already exploring the multiverse, the possibility of having more than one whatever you know, floating out there. DC has tippy-toed around it a little. Again, this isn't a new concept. This has been around forever, for as long as these comic books have been around. And it's the only way to kind of really explain sometimes all these rebootings and resurrections of characters and that sort of thing. But cinematically, or in television now, we're getting closer and closer to being able to accept 
and understand how that functions into the Spider-Verse. Again, another uh, version of a Marvel character that you got a cinematic version of it, but in an animated form. Like I said before, the cinematic side is coming. I, I, I There have been rumors about some of these Spider-Man at previous actors, previous bad guys, previous good guys, whatever. All of them appearing in some shape or form in a future film or films. Again, television has also done a version of this too. I think The Flash did something like this. I never watched it, but I heard about it. But this is how I like to think of this film as a version of these characters that may or may not coincide with what, let's say, the studio decides is canon. You're getting into the uh, almost like the uh, the Star Trek world of the Prime versus the JJ or the Calvin universe. You know, you're dealing with alternate realities, and this is how I kind of perceive it as this is one reality of how things are. Now, Snyder has given a couple of interviews lately talking about how his original plan, or or even the script might have been leaked, or his, his outline might have been out there, of how the next two films would have gone, and oh my god, do they go crazy in terms of the relationships, and who is pregnant, and whose son belongs to this person, and who dies, and who takes over, and who is... It's crazy. It is just crazy, crazy stuff. But to tell you the truth, I wouldn't mind seeing it. I wouldn't mind seeing that much craziness, uh, you know, when it comes to this. I've always been a, a fan of DC cinematic universe, if you will, for the mere reason that it's different. It's the darker side of, Mar you know, if Marvel is the light side of everything, let's say, DC is the darker side, because, you know, you do have the influence of Batman hovering over everything. I'm going to rank this film as, let's call it my third favorite of the modern DC. Now, just like we've done in the past, what do I mean by modern or current? With Marvel, remember, there were many different phases of Marvel. My earliest phase was the X-Men type of stuff, and there was, you know, the in-between, the Blades and stuff like that. Spider-Man, you know, the, 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 the one-shots that never really pushed enough to create an entire franchise out of. And then finally, the current MCU, you know, Iron Man age of Marvel. With DC, for me again, I know... There have been other ages, I just wasn't part of them. I'm aware that they exist, but I wasn't part of that part. <laughs> the, the entire Marvel television, Stan Lee, you know, Hulk, Doctor Strange, Thor appearances, you know, all that kind of stuff, That I wasn't part of that. I'm, I'm, that's not where I'm starting. But for DC, I'm going to start with Superman Christopher Reeve, then you move on to the 89 Batman, the Keaton Batman. That, to me, was the, the big one. There have been other attempts after the Batman thing went through, but I don't think they really took off as much as they did before. Not until Nolan came around and rebooted Batman. That I would consider to be the second one with his trilogy. From that trilogy, I still think The Dark Knight is the best of all of them. It is my favorite of even the previous Batman or the current Batman to me, The Dark Knight is the benchmark for everything. After Nolan was done, and they really restarted everything with Superman, Man of Steel, that's kind of like the modern era of DC, as far as I'm concerned. 
Now, you could kind of tie Nolan to it because I know Nolan still gets a lot of credit for it. And the aesthetic is also partly there still. The Nolan aesthetic is a little bit there. He kind of passed it on to Snyder a little bit. But Snyder already came into this with his own set of aesthetics. He's a very visual guy. But like I said, Nolan is still or was still attached between the two. Anyway, the current version of the DC Universe, you know, if I still have Dark Knight as the the top, I would say my second favorite one is probably Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, I was very happy with Wonder Woman. It had enough of both. It had enough light tone, dark tone, adventure, backstory. It, It gave me just about everything I wanted, you know, from that particular character. After that, I would say Man of Steel. I enjoyed Man of Steel. I know a lot of people, and again, this is kind of like people that hate Star Trek uh, now because it doesn't have Captain Kirk in it. There are a lot of people that, unless it's Christopher Reeve, it's crap. But I think the, the Man of Steel film with Henry Cavill was a very good reintroduction, reboot of the uh, of the telling of the of the Superman story, and I I like it. I would put this as my third, as far as those films are concerned. This is my third favorite one. I liked it better than Batman versus Superman. I like it better than, um, again, Suicide Squad is kind of off to the side. There's all, there are all these little side films. Birds of Prey, I didn't even think I finished watching it. I was like, it, was, it was really too much for me. It was, it was trying to be way too funny. Aquaman was okay. It was fun. It was flashy. It was a little bit forgettable, to tell you the truth. But it wasn't bad. It, it just wasn't great. But this one, yeah, this one is... This one is different. This one is different because it gives you this whole world that you're, you know, open to explore. Don't know if Warner Brothers will want to continue in this direction as far as sequel modes. Now, granted, they just did (laughs) Wonder Woman 1984, which I really disliked. And I would put in the, probably at the bottom of the list of all of these films. I mean, again, I know we have uh, a Green Lantern and... (laughs) That's talk about forgettable films. But Wonder Woman 1984 was such a disappointment for me. Again, there's a difference between sequels. I mean, I can understand sequels, but trilogies or or movies that are so super connected to each other that they build upon each other. That's a different matter altogether. I don't know if they'll ever want to do that. That is the, uh, you know, the Avenger formula. Do you want the team-ups or do you want the standalones? Do you want the sequels to the standalones or do you want the sequels to the team-ups, which then become trilogies or or whatever, you know? Don't know if Warner Brothers is a little gun-shy still of going in that direction. The question now is, do fans want more of this? Do they want more Zack Snyder? Zack Snyder was like a, a pariah for a while in terms of, you know, they were like, oh, we're, we're done with the Zack Snyder era of, of Warner Brothers, uh, you know, DC films. Who knows? He might have a a bit of a revival now with this. It could maybe he can get another sequel out of it. I don't know if they're gonna if they would go in the direction. (laughs) It is. I'm telling you, it's out there. Read it if you have a chance. It is wacky, crazy stuff. But when you think about it, that's what comic books are. It is wacky, crazy stuff. It's like the, the craziest thing you can think of. They'll do it on a comic book. It's like a soap opera. It's 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 as it's as cheesy as a soap opera in terms of, well, so and so is sleeping with so and so, and this person, and no, you're not my father. You're my mother. <laughs> you know that kind of weird stuff. And wait, I'm not your cousin. I'm your adopted son from your third mom. It's like what? 
it is that nutty. But you know what? It's fun. It works sometimes. I'm not saying this is the the be-all and end-all. This isn't what's going to save DC from... No, it's not. But I do appreciate the format in terms of... I really enjoyed watching this in sections. Again, it felt good watching it almost as a miniseries. The other uh, factor about this film is that people got a little blindsided by the fact that the aspect ratio is really odd. It's almost 4 by 3 aspect ratio, which we're not used to seeing that on purpose. And from what I understand is that you have an option, if depending on your TV, if you have those controls, if you zoom in on the picture, you can eliminate the top and the bottom so you can fill your entire screen. Will you be missing information? Yes, you will be missing top and bottom information. However, I believe it was shot within the frame of widescreen, meaning that you're not going to miss anything that's important or relevant or artistically needed. You know what I'm saying? So when I watched the first two chapters, I watched it in the almost squarish version. And I was like, yeah, this, I mean, I could, I could do it. And then I, I read some articles and they, they said, no, no, they some interviews and how it was shot. And, you know, was, if you guys remember Super 35, oh my God, Super 35, Super 35. Now, why would they do it here? I don't know. It doesn't make sense because Back when <laughs> this whole Super 35 thing started, I remember James Cameron, oh my God, uh, he was shooting stuff in Super 35 because we were transitioning between 11 by 9 versus 3 by 4. And that was a way of kind of giving the industry the option of going either way. I, I'm giving you the, the, the 4 by 3 aspect ratio if you want to fill the entire square box of your television set, if your old television set, or you can watch it the other way and get the, you know, the, the, the wide version of it without the material on the top, on the bottom, so that you get that cinematic look. Here, it almost feels like they're doing the same thing, but I don't understand why. That's something I need to research a little further, is why give people the option if the old TVs aren't around anymore? I, I can't imagine... People you know, wanting to see this on a 3x4 set which don't exist. So when I watch chapters 3, 4, 5, 6, and then the epilogue, I switched it to, you know, I went into my zoom command and then I, I tested. Sometimes when you hit zoom on TVs, they zoom too much. I hit the zoom and I tested it to make sure it wasn't taking too much from the top or the bottom. And it filled my entire TV. And it, it, it felt better watching it that way. It felt a little better. Granted, remember, when you go into zoom mode, you're always going to be lowering the quality of the video a little bit. It's not going to be as sharp and crisp. It'll lose a little bit of it because you're, you know, blowing it up. But it worked for me. For me, it worked. So that's another thing to keep in mind when you watch it. So overall, I strongly recommend it. Interrupt this broadcast to bring you a special news bulletin direct via satellite from our on the spot task force. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Thank you, Bob. It's Mort. Mort, yes. You're I am Ted Baxter, and here is the news. Today I want to talk about 
the custom Star Wars marketplace that is out there. And as I've mentioned in the past on some of my other videos that are profiling these amazing works that people are doing and these, this product that is just incredible and how good they are trying to replicate the Kenner aesthetics, not only from other companies that kind of jump on that bandwagon, you know, to create other lines like the Super 7 lines and the Funko lines and that they incorporate that old four and three quarter inch model five point of articulation and they apply it to Back to the Future, Alien, you know, you name it, all kinds of different lines. But at the same time, there are very good, as a matter of fact, amazing creators out there who are putting together super high quality Kenner style Star Wars figures. Figures that either are ones that were never made or ones that were made but very low quantities and are very hard to find, reproductions. And two of the best that are out there right now are The Fans Strike Back and Stand Solo Creations. Now, I cannot gush enough about the quality of their work, as I will be talking about on some of my future podcasts. But what's amazing, and I always say this, and it's an old saying that seems to apply to so many things, you do not want to know how the sausage is made. Because the behind the scenes, not only in the making of a film or the manufacturing of a product, you name it, the behind the scenes shenanigans that take place are incredible. And it's amazing sometimes that you have a, such a good end product when it took so much for that product to come about. I don't have firsthand knowledge of all of this information. What I know comes from Facebook groups, postings from some of these individuals who kind of share their story of how things went about, but I've never interviewed them or anybody who has firsthand knowledge of what happens. But by doing a little research on the internet, by basically going to their Facebook pages, their official Facebook pages, their personal Facebook pages, you get from some of them the behind the scenes. From what I understand, Smith Lord Creations was a company by two guys named Chris. And for the sake of not confusing everyone by Chris this or Chris that, <laughs> I'm going to refer to them as Fan Strike Back or Stan Solo. So these two Chris's worked together and they had these great plans and they started producing certain things. It is through that end of it that I was able to get my first set of original and reproduction figures. This includes the Stormtrooper Luke, Stormtrooper Han, the Yak Face, the Blue Snaggletooth. And then they started coming up with these other ones that were... R2-D2 type astromechs, super, super amazing looking stuff. And then I started seeing protocol droids. Oh my God. However, when this started happening, that company had already or was already in the process of splitting up. One Chris went one way with Stan Solo and the other Chris went the other way with the fan strike back. Stan Solo comes out of England, fan strikes backs comes out of the U.S., if you read some of these posts and Stan Solo, Chris from Stan Solo is much more open about his experiences and he seems to be very upset about 
what went down between the two halves of this company that ended up in the splitting of the two and all these plans they had made and then the agreements that they made to, in order to go in two different directions. But still, after going in two different directions, there seems to be so much animosity between the two. The fan strikes back, which was kind of like the first, I think, I'm not entirely sure, but the first incarnation, I believe... And again, I could be getting some of this wrong, and I apologize if I am. But I believe Smith Lord Creations partnered with the fan Strike Back so that they could be kind of like their U.S. distributor, a place where people could order. Because back then, I think people were ordering from Facebook or maybe, I don't even know if Etsy was involved in it at the point, but they would always make you go somewhere else to order these things, even though they were promoting them on Facebook under a different name. So... That was the first place I remember where everything was being funneled through. And through that website, the most prominent thing that came, other than those original figures I mentioned earlier, was that they were going to create something like 12 or 13 brand new Star Wars figures. And you were going to buy them as a set of 13. And that is technically still in the hopper there. I think it's been maybe a year or two or more. I don't remember how long these things have been in production. And then they announced a Bantha, a Kenner-style Bantha to look like an actual Bantha that Kenner was going to make at one point that was considering making, but never did. So there's a second project that they started there. So while all this is happening on this end of the spectrum, all of a sudden I start hearing about another place that is making very similar material called Stan Solo coming out of Etsy. Again, this is the other half of what used to be that company. What he started doing was focusing more on droids, but he did have also on his, you know, roster of figures, some leftovers or some duplicates, if you will, from the combined effort that they had. So I think he might have had some yak faces or he might have had some Luke Stormtroopers or something like that. And I was confused that at some point I'm like, but wait a minute, these guys are two separate companies. No, they used to be combined. Now they're two separate. But how come they're selling the same stuff? Oh no, it's leftover stock that he had from when they were together. And you know, this whole agreement, of, okay, I'm going to go ahead this direction. You're going to go ahead in that direction. And they both seem to be growing and growing in terms of they're selling their material. But over the last... I don't know, six months or so, it seems to have been getting more and more competitive and more of the, you know, airing your dirty laundry kind of scenario that they're in right now. Specifically from one side seems to be more vocal about how upset and hurt they are by the actions of the other. My point here is that I really, <laughs> I really don't care you know, about the behind the scenes stuff in terms of, I really would rather just see the product. But I have a feeling that if what's happening between them gets any more out of control or any more into the litigation territory, it could result in both of them having to shut down. We have to remember that they're writing a fine line between creating something and infringing on copyrights. You know, old Kenner you know, copyrights that are, I imagine, owned by Hasbro now, and that at any point, somebody could shut them down legally. Somebody could send a cease and desist, and all of a sudden, they got to shut down. And the more that they make this public, the more that they could potentially result in them self-destructing. I mean, heck, 
even Disney or Lucasfilm at some point can kind of step in and say, you guys are both manufacturing Star Wars products without a license. So yeah, they any minute now, they could be shut down. And uh, the more that they make a lot of noise, the more dangerous it could be. Now, with that said, the reason for the, I guess, the latest escalation is because they're starting to dip into the same figures. As I mentioned earlier, at first there was some repetition because there was some leftover stock, you know, on the Stan Solo side from their collaboration. But the problem is that they are now both manufacturing certain figures that are being done at the same time. For example, the EV-99 droid from Return of the Jedi, they both now have it available for pre-order. And what really appears to have kind of escalated things, especially from the Stan Solo side, was that he put out an announcement of a Slave Leia that he was working on. And then a couple days later, Fans Strike Back put up their version of a Slave Leia being put up. So it's, you know, again, it's getting ugly. Now, these figures look fantastic, you know, and I already pre-ordered one. I'm not going to say which one. I'm going to say it's just the one that I perceive to be the better looking one and the better bargain, you know, price-wise. But it's so funny how... You know, one puts up one, then the other one puts up the other one, then 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 the first one, you know, if you read carefully, they'll add a second figure. It's like, oh, wait a minute, they're gonna add a second figure as a bonus. So it's it's really it's it's funny, but it's also sad and disturbing because like I said, this could result in both of them completely self-destroying in the process. Now, one of the major differences I I would imagine in terms of what they supply, the Stan Solo side doesn't seem to deal in any reproduction weapons, you know, mass weapons. They do have some slight accessories that they do have up for for sale for order. They have, uh, like for example, a Man of Man staff. They have the uh, the Java Sail Barge R2 serving tray, stuff like that. They do have these things. However, on the Fan Strike backside, you can get quite a lot quite a lot of weapons, standard weapons that you would have for your stormtroopers, your rubber soldier, you know, all that kind of stuff, lightsabers, all those kind of weapons. And because of that, as I talked uh, in previously, this has also attracted not the trouble of official, you know, license holders. I'm not talking about Disney or Lucasfilm. I'm talking about the anti-repro crowd, the sub <laughs> fan subset collector branch wing of collecting that is very anti-reproduction. So they have been getting quite a lot of flack from them. I don't think Stan Solo has been getting that much public flack because up to this point, primarily most of his stuff was original or at least new figures. You know, you can't confuse one of his new droids for an R2-D2. You know, different colors, it's very easy. So they kind of they draw the line there. However, he does have quite a number of other kind of figures, including sand troopers, storm troopers, shadow troopers, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, he tries to stretch out as much as possible with the existing molds. 
And he's capable, this is Stan Solo I'm talking about, of turning them around pretty fast, in ter- you know, compared to Fan Strike Back. You know, when he announces a figure, you figure in less than a year, you probably will see that figure come about. I currently have a few in order that are getting very close to completion. I have some that are, you know, they're just, I'm just waiting for the, for the shipping to take place. But he seems to have a much better track record of delivering, you know, these pre-ordered figures. Fans Strike Back, on the other hand, they're promising you a lot more. And that is one of their biggest pitfalls is that right now we are all still waiting for those original 13, actually 12, because they did deliver the 13th ahead of time. They did a Grand Admiral Throng, which I, I honestly couldn't care less about, but it's in the style of Kenner, so it's in my display case. That's fine. And it is disappointing that that was the 13th figure. I wish they would have gone with something that actually appeared in the movies. But that's okay, as long as they deliver. You know, every now and then we do see updates, and every now and then the updates seem to coincide with some kind of a comment that the Stan Solo... <laughs> guy would make you know reminding everybody that they still haven't delivered those products and then the other guy will then put up an, uh, uh, some kind of a post kind of like reassuring everybody that everything's still on track and that sort of thing which again i i just want the product i want them to deliver you know i don't mind the wait i don't mind waiting two years it's a little ridiculous but it is, after all, 13 figures or 12 figures at this point that he's trying to pump out. It would have been probably better if he would have done it in stages, maybe, instead of 13. Maybe he should have done, like, six, uh, maybe four. This way you could deliver what you're promising in an ongoing basis. While at the same time, you know, coming up with new things that he's, you know, he's selling on his website and talking about future things. Like, for example, again, this Leia thing. Is this going to take two years? Or is it going to take a year? Is it going to take six months? You know, who knows? I don't know. The Bantha. When's the Bantha coming? I know that they're still finalizing the box art or this or that. But, I mean, yes, you do have to throw COVID on top of everything in terms of all this stuff is being made in China. So there is a delay in everything that's going on. So, yeah, it's uh, it's a little... Uh, it's a little almost like playing the stock market, you know, you're investing money on these products and you hope that somebody doesn't just say, all right, I can't make them. I'm skipping town with all your money, <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that is a dangerous little thing that's going on at the same time. But, you know, my whole thing is that they kind of cool it a little bit and do their own thing. Nobody has dibs on anything, even this Leia that... They are both kind of fighting over. There are other makers out there. I've, I've seen them. I've, I've seen them on my Facebook groups. They're manufacturing their own layers. They look fantastic too. Nobody owns this thing. Somebody does own it. And if they one day realize they want to shut them all down, they'll shut them all down. It's that simple. So, you know what? Nobody really has the rights. Therefore, cool it. Do what you want to make. If it coincides with someone else, tough luck. But just kind of chill out, <laughs> take a breath, relax. I don't mind spreading it around. I don't mind spreading, you know, who I order from. From I, you know, I'll order from different people. That's fine. I have a a couple of Mandalorian figures that I ordered and I got that were done by a completely different person that has nothing to do with these two guys. 
And the funny thing is that I was selecting from two other makers who were doing it also kind of at the same time. So I don't mind spreading out, you know, who I ordered from to keep them all going at the same time because, you know, every now and then somebody will produce something that the other guy's not making that is like, oh, wow, that's a great idea. I never thought they could do that. Stan Solo seems to be primarily or or for the majority, he seems to be focusing on droids. But I guess sooner or later, you're going to run out of droids. And I think maybe that's what's happening. He's running out of droids to make without having to kind of make, you know, he's made up a couple of droids on his own and, and you know, from the animated version of the, of the droids cartoon and, you know, from other sources other than the traditional films. So I guess, yeah, if, if that's all you got and you've done it, you got to move on to something else. And that's what, you know, he has a lot of troop building packs, you know, multiple stormtroopers. And that's part of the thing to be able to, from a manufacturing point of view, from, from, from his point of view is that it's easier for him to use an, an existing mold adapted in some shape or form. Whenever you create a shadow stormtrooper, it's basically a black stormtrooper. You just paint them black and boom, there it is. I know it's not as simple as that, but as far as molding goes, you don't have to spend the thousands. I mean, he he catalogs, he lets you know exactly how much money he spends on these molds. It is astronomical, the thousands of dollars that have to go into creating this, these metal molds that eventually the factory will be using to cast all these, you know, plastic action figures. You know, from the design stage to the sculpting stage to the mold to the production, you know, th there's a certain amount of investment. There's a certain amount of thousands of orders that he needs guaranteed, that anybody needs guaranteed in order to turn a profit, you know, on a brand new figure, on a brand new sculpt. With the R2 units, it's easy. The only variation he's really dealing with is maybe different heads. You know, the R5 head, the little clear dome head. The R2 kind of, hey, all that kind of stuff. Yes, those are different, but at least the body and the, everything else, you know, the sticker will be different. The painting will be different. But whenever you create a, a figure from scratch, for example, the Princess Leia, the Slave Leia one, that's a completely new sculpt. The Death Star Gunner, here's another one that he's creating for the first time that fans strike back have not put on their roster yet. You know, again, that's a new mold. The Imperial Weapons Technician, this is a brand new one that he put up that seems to have the body of the Imperial Gunner, just a different kind of paint scheme. And I believe it is referenced to being part of Rebels. It appeared on Rebels. So it's kind of like the Gunner in a gray costume, but still having a black helmet and black gloves. So yeah, that's one that he was, I think he's able to kind of have dual use. He can uh, make the mold for that one and then use it on both ends. Also, a slight correction is that he does have, Stan Solo does have lightsabers for sale. Another thing he manufactures is coins, kind of like the Power of the Force coins. He's been going kind of heavy on those too. Again, he's coming up with different, you know, different ways of trying to come up with more material. He's putting together some more Rebel pilots. I think the A or the B wing. I'm not sure which ones. He's got a life-size vinyl cape Jawa for $1,700. Oh my God, that's insane. <laughs> he's got these different sizes, which means that somewhere in there, he's got a mold or the beginnings of a mold for Jawas to be built. So yeah, he's he's putting together quite a collection, uh, quite an array of future products that have dual purpose uh, usage in terms of how you can manufacture them it seems like wow he can he can blow these up to gigantic size if somebody were to want them they also sell the the third leg you can add a third leg to some of your r2 units 
but yeah it's just amazing it's just absolutely amazing the variations fan strike back same thing you can buy third legs you can buy extra helmets for your stormtrooper lukes they are also going in the coin route weapons you know all over the place you can get all kinds of weapons from them and they also have these like graded labels where you can kind of grade your product for people that are into grading. Again, it doesn't really mean anything because it's you're grading your own product. But man, these guys are they're just growing so fast in terms of their catalogs. I believe that one of them is also it might be these guys they're also offering uh, backdrops, these uh, cardboard backdrops. Uh, similar to like, you know, the old Kenner backdrops that were part of those cheapy little sets they used to sell. Well, they, they, they're dipping into that a little bit now. So again, going back to uh, the whole point of this is that the product is amazing. It is great product. Uh, keep it coming. Just don't go crazy because if everybody starts fighting, somebody could just pull the plug on the whole thing. All right. I hope you guys enjoyed today's show. We started off with Zack Snyder's Justice League and my opinion on it. I, I'm i definitely in the camp of, you know, thumbs up. I liked it. I enjoyed it way better than the original Whedon cut. And, you know, we looked at all the possibilities of everything that could happen at this point. We did talk a little bit about the hopes that maybe they can continue this, but... Over the last couple of days, the word on the street, or the internet for that matter, seems to be that Warner Brothers doesn't want to continue with this timeline, if you will, or or version of the DC Universe, which is no surprise. I mean, this would have had to been a like a complete monstrous success for them to kind of look the other way. This was also done, as I mentioned before, during the COVID period, so it was kind of like when you don't have enough material to put out there and people willing to go sit somewhere and you need to put something out like a filler if you will this was a perfect thing for them to do i imagine you know better than nothing that's basically what you're dealing with on the other hand there seems to be quite a lot of good buzz about uh, around it certain people hate it and certain people love it and i personally think that if you cannot continue cinematically with this storyline one thing that Snyder might want to consider and Warner Brothers is continuing it as an animated film you know they put out all these animated films left and right all these years why couldn't they just take these stories these last two stories these last two points of the anthology or trilogy or well five again I still have to figure that quintology <laughs> I know they did for alien there was something called the, the alien quintology quintology or something like that anyway why don't they do something like that? That would be a way. I'm sure with Snyder's pull, he could even get some of the actual voice actors to return. It would be a lot easier to, to do if you think about it, especially on the, the talent. You know, you cannot assemble that kind of talent all over again, you know, because these people are already, I'm sure, contracted to do so many other things, you know, on their slate. But for a voice job, that's something they could pretty get done easily i imagine but it would depend i think mostly i honestly think mostly it would depend on Zack snyder's ego you know would he be the type of person that says you know what it's got to be cinematic or nothing or you could say you know what there's enough people that like this i owe it to the fans the people that helped them get to this point helped them to put this movie out helped them to continue following his work 
you know, that would be some something that you, you could kind of throw a bone at them and say, yes, you know what, let's do it. Let's finish the last two stories. It would be a lot easier for him, I think, to do it. You know, you don't have to go as crazy as you would. He would actually have an animation credit under his belt. You know, I honestly don't know if he's ever done animation before, but, you know, to be able to have no limits on the special effects and the locations and, you know, go in whatever direction you want. And on top of that, being able to introduce likenesses that are from the film. That's another possibility. I don't know how that would work as far as the actors go. I don't know if they would have to get paid more if you tried to make the drawings, you know, the art look a little too close to them. But I think that would be a great way to be able to tell those stories. Those stories are out there. Like I mentioned before, there are interviews where he goes into it, or at least people have read where it goes. It's insane, but it's perfect for a comic book. The second story we did today was the Reaper Wars and the Custom Wars. And at the time of recording the piece, we were at a certain point with where they were at as far as what they were putting out. At that time, I think it was, I think it must have been the Princess Leia, the Slave Leia one that, that is the one they were putting out. But now on the Stan Solo side, they've announced so many repros in terms of last 17 you know hard to get kind of figures and i'm not going to go into them because there's just too many of them and some new ones too so they're going to push hard 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 and they are going to get into this territory of you know what forget the pressure that they're getting from the anti-repro crowd forget the pressure that they're getting from their other competitors they're going full steam ahead and again i completely agree put out whatever you want just don't fight with people. That's my only thing. It's just stop fighting. Stop publicly fighting with people. But that's probably not going to happen. I, from the Facebook posts that I've been reading, the punches are, are getting thrown. I mean, they're, they're pretty one-sided punches, but they're getting thrown so much. And it's like, man, I wish they would hire a, uh, a social media person to handle their social media <laughs> activity because... It's like, put out the product and stop fighting. The other side of the coin, the Fanstrike back side, they, they are also putting out product. They haven't announced such a large, crazy slate. I mean, Stan Solo is, is almost matching at this point the number of figures that are on the slate to match the 13 figures that we're still waiting for from the fan strike back. It'd be interesting to see who can get these things out first. I imagine fan strikes back, they're almost ready because again, it's baby steps, but you're seeing the little baby steps take place. So it's like an arms race, really. It's almost like you're watching these two superpowers trying to out nuke each other. Hopefully in the process, they don't just obliterate each other and we get some good product. So thank you guys for listening and we will see you here soon at GeekFest Rants. Bye-bye, everybody. Coming from the farthest reaches of space are the most awe-inspiring, the most desired gifts of the galaxies. They are the Star Wars collector's coins. Every Star Wars action figure comes with one. Dynamic graphic front, action story back, over 60 different coins in the collection. But the best is each and every Star Wars action figure comes with one. Every figure? Every figure. Look for the Star Wars collector's coins in your neighborhood. If you would like to subscribe to our show, send us messages, or see video links to some of the topics we talked about today, please visit our homepage at geekfestrants.com. 
or our YouTube channel, Facebook page, or iTunes at GeekFest Rants. I don't know what we're yelling about! GeekFest Rants is produced by Carlos Perone, copyright 2021. <laughs>